Hi, this is Peter Diamandis with my good friend Dan Sullivan, and welcome to Exponential Wisdom. Dan, a pleasure to have you with me again and to talk about one of our favorite subjects, the sharing economy and Uber. You know, I'm an inveterate web surfer, and I've never seen, probably since I started surfing the web going back 15 years ago, so much action and so much comment about a particular technology that just seems to catalyze everybody's sense that something brand new is happening in the global economy, and you've used the word sharing economy. I think for a lot of people, they don't quite understand that. Peter, can you give your sense, because you're seeing it in so many different places, what the sharing economy is? Yeah, it's something extraordinary. It's the, as we're living in a world where information is so readily available, and we're all hyper-connected, something magical happens, which is the velocity at which we're able to transact is faster and faster than ever before. So, for example, the sharing economy is if I have something that I'm not using, when I'm not using it, you can. And that applies to a car. It applies to a couch. It applies to clothes. It applies to tractors. It applies to everything. So we're starting to see the sharing economy take extraordinary growth in a wide range of areas. And Uber, of course, is the sharing economy where I get to use your car, the backseat of your car, by the hour, by the trip. And I can't imagine, Dan, that there's nobody here on Exponential Podcast who doesn't know what Uber is and hasn't tried Uber. If not, (laughs) go look it up. It's one of the most extraordinary services that has exploded onto the scene. And those who don't know, it started just five years ago in 2010. It's gone from a startup to a 40 plus billion dollar valuation in such a short period of time. And like you said, it's on the web everywhere. It is threatening so many different people. Mm-hmm. It's gotten everybody up in a tizzy. <laughs> in my hometown here in Toronto, we're just going through the wars. And fortunately, the determining factor actually turned out to be the Supreme Court of our province. And they basically, if you want to summarize their judgment on this, they said it's about time the taxi unions in Toronto actually came into the 21st century because this is where things are actually going. But not all the cities. I mean, France as a country has banned Uber. They very famous. They actually took the two top executives of Uber in France and threw them in jail for a while. So one of the things, Peter, that I was just using Uber as, if a city or a jurisdiction, let's say like a country, is enthusiastic about Uber, it probably tells you they're enthusiastic about a lot of other cutting-edge technologies, and they're really thinking about the future. But if they oppose it and ban it, then it's probably a sign to talent and investment around the globe. Well, don't invest here. Don't take your talent here, because with their reaction to Uber, they're telling you a thousand other things about them, too. Dan, you're brilliant as always. You know, I think a Uber index that shows which cities, municipalities, states, countries are friendly to invention and innovation and which are not is something that's probably easily doable and someone should do it, right? Because I'd like to know, I don't want to go into a country or a town that isn't embracing Uber. I mean, ultimately what it's saying is we want to keep in business the inefficient buggy whip manufacturers Mm -hmm. rather than embrace people that make your travel easier and cheaper than ever before. 
Well, I think one of the big things is that the unions that are attached to, let's talk about transportation because that's the one opposing Uber, there's different ways of actually approaching this. And I'll give you contrasting examples, and they're right across the English Channel from each other. It started with Paris. It started with the pushback on the part of the taxi drivers and limousine drivers in Paris, and that's where the countrywide ban started. But in London, I found this very interesting because in London, you have the greatest taxi cab drivers in the world. The London Black Taxi is in a class by itself as a phenomenal service because the training is so strict and it takes an enormous amount of work to actually get a taxi license. It takes three years of total study and then you basically have to have three years of salary saved up so that you can actually do it. And these individuals essentially have 6,000 streets memorized. They know every landmark and everything. I love taking a taxi cab driver. So Uber came into London at the same time as it did in Paris. But within about a year after Uber, the black taxis in London created their own app that kind of works the way that Uber does and says, you want a black cab in two minutes, just put your name in, sign up for our service. So there you see the totally contrasting ways of approaching a new technology. The black cab, who are really phenomenal service, they just basically adapted the technology and said, we'll compete with it in the same playing field. Whereas the the, basically, the French authorities saying, we don't want any playing field whatsoever. We don't want a game. It's heartfelt, right? I mean, you feel for people who have invested their time and energy in getting the licenses or they've been a cabbie all their life. And now here comes Uber and these drivers are earning more money and having a better state of affairs and people are switching. I mean, I honestly will only take a cab when I'm forced to. But this is the way of a lot of things. We're going to be seeing this kind of level of disruption in every industry. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge. I mean, we're going to see the real estate broker go away as AI and virtual worlds come into play. And I talked about it at this past Abundance 360, this intersection of linear thinking industries and exponential technologies, where it's Mm -hmm. government and companies facing off against exponential tech. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you start seeing an industry going to the regulators to say, hey, protect us against this technology, for me, that's the death knell of that industry. That's the last option they have before they go out of business. Instead of saying, we better start looking how to reinvent our industry. The unions... And the regulators that go with the unions are a throwback to a medieval institution called the guilds. So every trade in the middle-aged cities, whether you were a weaver or you made shoes or you were a silversmith, each of them had their own guilds. And one of the reasons for the guild was actually to pass on the craft. So they had training programs, which was a good thing. But the bad part of it was that they cut out any possibility of competition. And we still have those guilds in the United States. The medical industry is a huge guild. The legal industry is a guild. So you have all these basically closed shop type of 
professionals who then will react usually negatively towards any bypass or anything that goes right to the customer. So this concept of the Uber, which right now is mainly taking place in most people's consciousness in the transportation industry, it covers every other occupation. For all I know, it'll go right into electing members of political office and everything else in our society. So the sharing economy is human-wide. Every human activity that we do, you can take this concept, which is now famous in Uber and Airbnb, and you can apply it to every single activity that human beings do. You can. So people have a sense of where Uber is and where it's going. I spent a week Last summer with Travis, who's the CEO of Uber, I was in Italy at something called Google Camp. I was Larry Page's guest. There was about 80 of us together. And Uber's vision is far more than just cars. Uber wants to become the backbone of all transportation and all delivery services. So I use Uber Eats here where I can go to the Uber app and I can get delivered food to me when I need it. You can imagine Uber's long-term vision is going to be to become a distribution network where it's distributing not only cars to take you someplace, but distributing food, distributing services, distributing delivery of products you will buy. And of course, if you look at the cost structure of Uber, the majority of cost is the person driving the car. And what Travis is looking to do is actually develop autonomous vehicles. We've had some conversations about do we do a autonomous car XPRIZE for Uber, and they're working right now with Carnegie Mellon. So today, when I go from my home to LAX, the cost of an UberX, the lower tier service, is about a third the cost of a taxi. So it's three times cheaper for me to take an UberX and a cab. It's actually cheaper for me to take an UberX than to drive if I include parking in. But in the future, when Ubers become autonomous, their price point drops tenfold. So we're going to head towards a time where, again, people aren't going to own cars. They're going to be car sharing services will be fully autonomous, and you'll basically get the kind of transport you need from one point to another. We're just beginning to see the level of disruption. And if the outcry exists today, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to happen, Dan, when the drivers are taking out completely? I mean, it becomes cheaper. You don't have to buy a car anymore. But man, oh, man, there's going to be some interesting outcries from politicians. Well, the interesting thing, Peter, when you make a prediction like that or, you know, it's kind of on the drawing board – There's a distance between where we are now in time, but the biggest thing is that there's a huge distance between us and that fact in terms of what I would call the entrepreneurial ecosystem, because what needs to develop for this to happen is all sorts of new kinds of jobs. A lot of them are going to be programming jobs, and basically new technologies may, in fact, and almost always do, disrupt and eliminate certain kinds of employment. But then you work backwards from, okay, Uber in the future with autonomous cars, and you work backwards and say, well, what are all the human skills and human teamwork that's going to be required to actually make that a reality? And it increases the number of people who have to be doing something to bring about that reality. And we're the challenge is, you're, you're right, people get scared because you can't actually predict what that job is going to be yet. It's like going back in the 1920s and trying to predict 
automation in the 1950s and 60s is impossible to do. But I do believe we're going to be heading towards a world where people are upgrading their skills. Instead of being a truck driver or a car driver, you're doing something even more that you're passionate about. So it's going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Again, I love the idea of looking at which cities and which countries are friendly to Uber and which are not. But as soon as you start making illegal the things that make your country or your city more efficient and get capital and people flowing faster, you're in a death spiral. It's going to be a really tough job. One of the things that's very, very interesting about Uber in itself is that if you look at the 20th century, and now you're looking at the 21st century, the number one, what I would say, consumer purchase worldwide in the 20th century was the automobile. And it probably was the technology that changed the world more than almost any other technology at the personal level. People could travel. It just made enormous impact on people's personal life. I would say the number one consumer technology so far in the 21st century is the cell phone. So what Uber has done is taken the number one technology from the 20th century and has combined it with the number one technology from the 21st century and created an entirely new economic form on the planet. You've helped me develop my six Ds, and people who know my work talk about you know, when something becomes digitized, it enters a deceptive period of growth, a disruptive period of growth, and then it dematerializes and demonetizes and democratizes. And we're seeing that with cars, right? Uber is digitizing transportation. We are still in the deceptive period of growth. As soon as we add autonomy to these cars, it'll become very disruptive. And it dematerializes. You don't have to own a car anymore. It demonetizes. Your cost of transportation will come down tenfold compared to owning a car or taking taxis, whatever. And it's democratizing it so that people who can't afford transportation, who have to take the bus today, will effectively eventually be able to take Mm -hmm. autonomous Ubers all over the place. And I think it's an unstoppable force that people need to realize is coming. And you should think about Uber as an example for what might happen in your own business, in your own industry. Because we talk about how do you Uberize Mm -hmm. your product or service before it becomes Kodak, you know, so to speak. One of the things, Uber caught the world by surprise. I remember one of the 10 Times clients who was in my strategic coach program at the 10 Times level. We were in New York, and we went to a restaurant. He came out, and I said, so is your car parked? And he says, no. And he says, I'm using this neat thing. And he showed me his phone and punched it in. And within about three minutes, a black car pulled up, and he was off and running. And he said, you know, this is going to change the world. I remember him talking about that. So you've been at keeping a tabs on technology in all its different forms for a long time. Did it catch you by surprise? And what kind of rethinking or enlargement on your thinking has happened since Uber came on the scene and then the other demonstrations of the sharing economy? Because you're learning all the time and you're learning a lot about new things, but you're also learning new ways of thinking about the entire phenomenon of exponential technology. So if you could kind of walk through what your own learning and your shifting of your thinking, I think everybody would be fascinated with that. So I remember the first time I saw Uber, I was in San Francisco. I was actually at 
dinner at a, one of the investors in Uber's early investor, and he says, "Have you heard about Uber?" And he told me about it, and he had me download the app and call a car, and it worked perfectly. And I was like, "Same thing! Oh my God, this changes everything!" And the realization is that with the explosion of entrepreneurship and the explosion of connectivity that we have, I want you to think about the following: You have an ability to basically call up any product or service that you want at any moment in time. As an example, I was driving down the road in LA and I really needed a cup of coffee and I like, where is a Starbucks when you need one? And I said, there must be an app that will tell me exactly what the closest Starbucks is. And I went to the app store and I typed in Starbucks Finder and sure enough, there was one. And 30 seconds later, it was downloaded and on and I was going directly to a Starbucks. So I want you to think about the fact that we're heading towards a world where you can transport your desires into reality very quickly. So your desire for transportation, your desire for whatever it is, and there's new ways of doing everything and new ways of getting fulfilled very rapidly. I think about the fluidity and efficiency and the reduction in cost that we're heading towards because of these sorts of entrepreneurial endeavors that are dematerializing and demonetizing almost every product and service mm-hmm. that exists. One of the things where it really came home to me, I was in L.A. for Abundance 360 last January, and we stayed an extra week after. And, you know, I'm a news junkie. I've been a news junkie since birth, and so I was scanning the L.A. papers. One of the things that I found really quite remarkable was that actually the biggest impact in Los Angeles wasn't really on the taxi industry or the limousine business. It was on the public transportation system. And it was for the same reason that you talked about getting to LAX at a third of the cost than a taxi. Thousands and thousands of residents of Los Angeles are now using UberX instead of the bus because UberX comes right to their door and it delivers them right where they want to go. And they found that it's actually cheaper than taking the public transportation bus in Los Angeles, which means that everybody in Los Angeles, if they had an app, they could create their own private transportation system. It's not a public transportation system. So really, I mean, there's a lot of complaints. Well, it's only for the rich and everything, but this makes it available to everybody. I was at CBS Good Morning being interviewed Monday this past week, and one of the people who was being interviewed just before me was the head of policy for Uber, and we were chatting about it. And one of the points he made is like, Uber actually will go to parts of LA that taxis don't serve. So it's really much more of a democratization than ever before. And one of the other elements, when I was talking to Charlie Rose, who's interviewing me, he said, you know, it's amazing that Uber doesn't require to train its employees. And I said, it's simple. They are self-training because of the rating system. Mm -hmm. When you get rated as a customer in the back of the seat, you care. And when they get rated, they care even more. And that rating system, a very simple incentivization, you get what you incentivize, makes sure that the experience is top-notch over and over and over again compared to a sloppy cab that couldn't care about what the service looks like. When I get into an Uber, the first thing I say to the driver is, this is going to be a five-star experience for both of us, isn't it? (laughs) I get a big smile on his face. He says, yes, sir, this is going to be five stars. And I said, how are we going to make this a good trip? And the reason is that I'm very, very conscious. First of all, I looked up my rating, and I'm 4.98. 
out of five, and I'm trying to remember the jerk who downgraded me. You know, I said, <laughs> what was that? You know, you know, I'm on my best behavior. I get a feeling I'm being watched. I was never bad in an Uber. Somebody just gave me a, a rough time. But it's very, very interesting because going back to the political aspect, Peter, that the reason why the regulators say that they have to regulate is because we've got to guarantee the experience of the consumer. This is why they're petrified, because it turns out that an algorithm and each person being able to rate is actually a much better regulatory service than anything that could be provided by government. And the other reason that they are trying to regulate, of course, is they're concerned about these part-time employees who are not getting services and retirement and all of that. Of course, the majority of all Uber drivers are doing this to top up their income. Mm -hmm. They're an accountant during the day, and and they'll take rides on the way to work to Mm -hmm. add $10,000 to their annual salary. And it works great. For the entrepreneurs here listening, I want you to think about what business or product or service can you bring to the sharing economy? I advise the executive team at Caterpillar. And it's interesting because if you think about all of the Caterpillar equipment that's out there that is used only some of the time, and that becomes an underutilized asset. So they've invested in a company that actually creates the sharing economy for construction equipment. So if I've got a tractor or whatever, I'm not using it three months, I can rent it out and make up the cost. So what else? Obviously, couches and spare bedrooms and homes and so forth. But what else could you add to the sharing economy and make money and make more efficient? Well, we could do 10 podcasts on this, Peter, but I just want to tell you one that I spotted in Toronto, and it's called A Thousand Tools. And what it does, it takes an area that's within five miles of you, and it lists who would be willing to rent out a tool that you need. Now, if you look at most people's garages or their workshops and everything else, they'll have about 50 tools that they haven't used in five years but they feel they need the tools. Well, here's the thing about it, that if you just go on this app, it's called A Thousand Tools, then it'll tell you that just three blocks over, the tool that you're only going to need for a weekend, and then you won't need to do it for another five years, you can get that tool for the weekend and then just take it back to the other person. And that kind of tells you the kind of central logic of the sharing economy. It's just when you need it, you don't have to own it. And if you misuse the tool or you break the tool, they throw you off the app. You can't rent again. So there's this accountability that's built in. I love that. And I think we're going to see that over and over again. I mentioned earlier that the future of Uber, and we're going to see this from Google, we're going to see this probably from Apple and from a lot of Detroit car makers are autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see that the cost of transportation drops tenfold again because you take the person out and it's then simply the cost of the electrons. Most of these are going to be electric eventually, taking you point A to point B. And these autonomous cars are effectively robots that are going to entering our world. And I'd propose, Dan, if you're open to it, I'd love to have a conversation with you about robots in the future and how they're going to be affecting our lives oh. and how we work, where we work. Totally. Yeah. Yep. I look forward to it because... If there's any part of technology that scares people, it's robots. And I think people need to realize robots are going to be one of the most important things in their lives. They're going to say, how did I ever get along without these robots? Just like you say that for email or for a digital phone or Mm -hmm. all these things. Yep. So shall we take that up next time? Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, Dan. 
Good to see you, my friend. Take care.